As an objectively seasoned comedian, I have found that the longer you partake in comedy, the hardest thing to allow yourself to do for another comic isn't laugh. That's a misconception. Nobody wanted to become a comedian because they love to laugh. No, that's what a fucking audience member does. No, the hardest thing for one comic to give another is attention and reverence. The ability to inspire other self-important clowns is a feat beyond even my own ego's possibilities. Okay? I want to make everyone laugh. And that want of something is based in reality. But I wish I could inspire anyone. However, that wish, I fear, is based in a fantasy. But today, we talk about somebody who, in my estimation, is criminally unappreciated. All right? That's somebody who took that fantasy and wrapped it into a reality. All right? A man who started off in this business as a boy. A YouTube musician who became a true comedic artist in every sense of the word. A comedian who became my own personal inspiration. On this episode of Dissecting the Frog, today we dissect the great Bo Burnham. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. My name is Sam Norton, and you are a longtime listener, contributor, masturbator. I don't know where I'm going. Why do I always do this? Does anybody like that? Probably. Probably all of you. You're all clamoring for what I'm going to say at the top. Anyways, thanks for joining us for another episode. Uh, I'm excited to be talking about Bo Burnham today. Uh, in a weird, like, zeitgeist, uh, behind-the-curtain type thing that's been going on. So I was, I had this in the, uh, stable to talk, uh, talk about him for a while now, and I finally pulled the trigger and was pulling up, like, YouTube clips and stuff, and, uh, when I was, like, prowling through YouTube to figure out what I wanted to talk about and how I wanted to approach it, I noticed that a lot of channels, uh, that I frequent... Uh, like over the last couple of days have also had uh, a similar like, oh, let's dissect Bo Burnham. Uh, so there's something going on in the air and maybe uh, my, my theory of him being underappreciated will go uh, by the wayside. Uh, I'm hoping. But, uh, but right as it stands right now, I really think he's underappreciated. When you, when you talk about great comedic minds especially contemporary ones uh in the conversations that i have anyways it's it's rare that he gets brought up uh right away um you know hannibal burris comes up uh quite a bit uh uh gerard carmichael comes up quite a bit uh who else um I don't know. There's a bunch of people. I, I didn't make a list, but the, there there are certain names that continually get brought up, and I think that Bo doesn't get his fair shake because he does a uh, you know more musical 
based comedy, more entertainment, and I think people look past the comedic value of what he has. So, for all of you who don't know who Bo Burnham is, uh, he's an American comedian, uh, pretty young guy. He's actually younger than me somehow. Uh, I guess I'm getting up there in age. I'm 31, but he's 27. He was born in 1990 in Hamilton, Massachusetts. He's the youngest of three kids. Uh, this is all just backstory, so you kind of get a, a fresh take on who he is. Um, now, more importantly, he uh, once he graduated high school, he was admitted to NYU's Tisch School for the Arts. Uh, but instead of actually going and attending, he jumped right into comedy. And the reason that that happened, um, I think there was multi, uh, multi levels of reasoning, but the main one is he already became a star. So Bo Burnham was one of, you could argue the first major YouTube stars that came out of, uh, this YouTube generation, right? Whenever YouTube first came out and people started posting videos up, uh, Bo was right in the thick of things. He was 16 years old, uh, when he released his first YouTube, uh, video. And it was just him, uh, at his parents' place sitting down in front of his, uh, piano and he posted a video that, um, I guess was about his family. Uh, the, the video is called My Whole Family. <laughs> so I, I watched it. It's about him and his family. And, uh, that There's little nuggets of what he has become now, that kind of satirical, uh, playful, uh, I guess not satirical, uh, sardonic, uh, and a little bit... Um, not depressive, but uh, dark, more dark humor. Plays around with uh, with death and homophobia and race, and uh, is 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 very tongue in cheek with everything. And this was at 16, right? Uh, but that video was released in 2006, and as of today, when I looked it up and watched it, uh, it now has over 10 million views. So he became a pretty big star right away, and he released a bunch of other videos on top of that. But when he's 16. You know, it didn't have 10 million views back then, but it had quite a bit. And when you're 16, that starts happening in like every video. Uh, I, I remember because I'm a little bit older than him, but I remember when he uh, first came out around that time, because uh, I would have just been, yeah, I just started uh, comedy. And uh, yeah, 2000, is 2006 when I first started? So that. I guess it'd be 2007. Um, but yeah, that's around when I first started and I saw him on YouTube and was like, oh, okay, this is all right. It'd be weird. I mean, that's like, <laughs> who uh, was it? Uh, Usher found um, uh, <laughs> uh, Justin Bieber on YouTube. Uh, that's kind of how I felt, except uh, I'm not Usher. But yeah, I found this like little 16, 17-year-old kid posting videos, and it's like, oh, that's good, right? So I, I've kind of been around since those years, and uh, he just blew up after that. Now, as of 2018, he's now, so going from just a regular YouTube star, which he could have just rode that out until... Uh, he died. I mean, that could have been his whole M.O., but he's he's one of those people that has just pushed his art form as far as possible, never settled on anything easy. Uh, and like I said, as of 2018, he has had six national-slash-international tours. I didn't look up which ones went international, but I know it's multiple of those. Uh, he's also had four widely-released comedy albums, 
and as of this year has wrote and directed his first major motion picture um which uh debuted at sundance and got a bunch of awards i believe sorry i'm gonna look uh i, I haven't seen the movie yet um but i believe it's called eighth grade let me yep it's called eighth grade uh haven't seen the movie not here to dissect the, his directing and uh <laughs> and uh comedic uh, motion picture writing uh ability but you guys can look that up i just wanted to give you and also a little side note um one of the great in my estimation comedy albums of the year um which is Chris Rock's Tambourine. If you haven't seen that, you should uh, watch that at some point. But that uh, whole uh, Netflix special was directed by Bo Burnham. I was looking up uh, kind of his IMDb and stumbled across that and was completely shocked, but it made sense because Bo, uh, as I will get into, really knows the full art of comedy and it's not just writing and performing it's a whole production and i think that's in my estimation what makes him one of the greater minds in comedy but i also think that to many comedians uh knocks him out of the running and we'll dive into that because uh the main point i want to get with Bo, what really inspires me is all right when i first started with comedy like most comics you you have a more creative and uh, rule-breaking mindset. You're just throwing everything against the wall just to see see what sticks. I I have done everything from just one-liners to um, I used to bring up a uh, a, a paper like a sketch pad and I had. Uh, illustrated my uh, jokes out into like one or two panel uh, little comics and so that way the audience would have a visual aid when I was telling jokes and that went over okay but then I and the, the good thing is experimenting with that has brought me back to actually doing my comics that I do every Monday and Wednesday and have been doing for the last two years but that that came directly out of me doing it on stage the next one uh, a little experiment that I used to do is I would pre... This was, fuck, back in 2007, maybe, 2008. Uh, I would pre-record, because I, did, I didn't have enough money to actually uh, have an iPod or anything like that. So I would pre-record dialogue and, like, leave out spaces uh, of, like a, like, a radio show. So I'd play music, then I'd pretend to be, like, a radio DJ... And it was as if I was calling in and I burned that onto a CD and played on a boombox on stage. And I would just turn it on acting like I was just dancing to music. And then like it, I, I as the radio announcer would be like, hey, call in and get this thing. So it was basically a live sketch slash stand up and I'd call in to myself. Anyways, uh, <laughs> with playing with that formula, I guess maybe that helped me. Uh, want to do a podcast later in life? Um, I don't know. That's a stretch of the imagination. But I, the whole point is, I used to do a bunch of weird shit. So much so, one of my friends, Danny Solomon, still to this day, 
only thinks of me because uh, we did a comedy competition. This was early on in our careers where like the main person, like if you won, you got like $2,000 and everyone below that got like tiered money. And there was like 15 people on the show and 10 people at least got some money. So like the bottom five were the only ones that didn't get any money. I was one of the bottom five because on this big show, instead of just doing my regular act, I went up there, I bought a banana suit and I went up there with like two light toys and started uh, like raving and I had like scat music playing behind me. And then I, all I did was do that uh, for like a minute of my time, took off everything and was like, oh, okay, that got weird. And then just went into my set. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was hilariously absurd. The audience thought it was just fucking stupid. But anyways, he still thinks of me only as that of uh, Mr. Banana Suit. So the point I'm trying to get at is when you first start, you have this real creative outlet of let's see what people think think is funny coming from me or what I think is funny and over time the audience kind of chisels you down into your base um into your base and I I don't even say chisels you down you actually kind of allow yourself to be put into a box if I'm going to be quite honest with myself um I've allowed myself to be put in a box of what the audience thinks of me instead of defining it for them and I think that's what separates a truly great comedian from a good comedian. A good comedian can make uh, any audience laugh. I believe I'm, at this point in my career, I believe I'm a good comedian. I get paid to do comedy uh, on a fairly regular basis. I know how to do the thing. But in order to be a truly great comedian, I need to define myself to the audience, not the reverse. And uh, I think that Bo Burnham, for as long as I've followed his career, has always done that he's always defined himself and i find that so goddamn respectful and there are times like now when i research him and watch him that it re and what i I meant this wholeheartedly at the beginning he is one of those comics that just inspires the shit out of me when i watch him i go why can't i right there's no there's nothing holding me back other than either my own fear my own bullshit in my brain this guy does he does music, he does production, he, he plays with formula, and that's what I love about him. He plays with the formula. He, he somehow, he retains his mass, his core, but he's, shape, he's shapeless at the same time. He's like a vic, viscous liquid that completely, like, forms into the cracks and can actually be stable, yet can flow seamlessly through different not genres because he's always musical but just different forms of the same thing and so the audience they know what they're getting with Bo they're getting uh, experience they're they're getting maybe music uh, kind of this this quippy sardonic wit but within that comes layers of philosophy, emotion uh, even different joke forms um and I, I, this is such a small fraction of probably his greater philosophy, but this clip I want to play uh, perfectly sums up how, what I think Bo truly believes in his heart. Uh, he was on Paul Provence's green room uh, talking with like Ray Romano, 
and Mark Marin and Paul Pervenza and Judd Apatow and God, who else is it? Gary Shandling, right? He's hanging out with some greats and he holds his own by asking a simple question. So uh, let's go to this clip and we'll come right back. So <laughs> when I first met Bo, I asked him who his favorite comic is and he said Hans Tewen. <laughs> exactly, he's a Dutch comedian. <laughs> and when I met you, you were nine? <laughs> I can't really talk about it because of the restraining order, but <laughs> I was just blown away that you would even know who he was. Wait, what's his name? Hans Taylor. Can you do a little bit of this thing? Uh, he's a Dutch absurdist. Uh, one of the things he does is uh, he brings out a, a sock puppet, which is a black sock. See, already I don't like him. Yeah. No. <laughs> all right, all right. It's a, it's a white sock. Oh, and then uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, and, uh, he just sings a song and feeds the sock uh, a baby Ruth and just crunches right. in the baby Ruth the entire time. It's insane. Well, I wonder, it just seems like there's, the really only rules about stand-up comedy is that you have to stand up on stage and you have to be funny. And there seems to be all these invisible rules that people put up, like, you know, starting with your second best joke, ending with your best joke. Who told you this? Yeah, where? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I took a comedy class. No, oh. I, didn't take, oh, no, I, didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Now, the simple questioning of you know, that there always seems to be these like invisible rules. And again, the greats, Marin, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, well, Paul's okay. Um, but Marin, uh, uh, Ray, Gary, um, Judd, not so much. Uh, I put Judd with Paul. But the, the, my point is that whenever he said that, they all went, no, there's no rules. But when you talk with a, a, a good amount of comedians, whether or not they want to admit it or not, I've been in a lot of writing circles, and there is that kind of ominous cloud of, oh, no, put this here, or give me two more examples, or you need to do this. Like, it's about pattern recognition, and you get... And uh, again, I'm fully guilty of this, and I, I, I need stuff like this to remind me of, like... Even though there are tricks, there are little illusions that you can do for the audience to set up in their mind that the joke is coming, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is a rule or even a necessity or even a place to start, right? Sometimes you got to throw that out the window and just be funny, just be uh, either weird or surprising. I mean, that's the, those are the baselines of a joke is just surprise, surprise expectations. That's all you have to do. And you kind of forget that. And even that is, <laughs> see, I'm even putting a rule. I well, like trying to toss out the rules and I'm still putting a rule. Like you got to be surprising. No, you don't. You can just be fucking weird. You can just, like, I, I've seen somebody hold a note for way too long and it went from, funny to not funny to annoying to uh surprising then funny again then impressive so yeah holding a fucking note for really long i don't know how they did it i think it was a recording but it went on for a very long time um anyways the the point i'm trying to make is he he doesn't follow anybody's rules except his own which is i think Again, a true artist. He defines who he is through his art. Um, and this is, and this comes to the point where I'm sucking his dick a lot. I love Bo, but there's a lot of people who are probably rolling your eyes at me praising a comedy musical act 
especially a comedy musical act who was once a YouTube star. Not only that, praising a comedy musical act who was once a YouTube slash child star. Like, every single one of those fucking labels will make a comedy purist puke in their fucking mouth of, like, there's no way this guy is good, and if this guy is good, he's probably an elitist, and if this guy's an elitist, then he probably thinks he knows what's better, or, like, looks down on other comics, and I don't think anything can be farther from the truth, because from my estimation, from following his career, seeing the progression of his act, and, and knowing... Uh, from one special to another, uh, his growth, I, I see that he has the self-aware, and I, I don't mean this as being hyperbolic. I truly, I truly mean this from the bottom of my heart. I think that Bo Burnham has the self, the comedic self-awareness of like a Richard Jennings, right? He has the revolutionary spirit, uh, comedically of George Carlin and the absolute disdain for commercialized humanity like Bill Hicks, right? Now, I don't just say those uh, lightly. I actually picked out three examples so that way you guys know kind of where I'm coming from. They're really quick examples, but hopefully you kind of get the, the, the context of what I'm saying. So with the self-awareness uh, of Richard Jenning, I think Richard Jenning is one of those great comedians who uh, was equal parts uh, making fun of the world but also aware of his own shortcomings. Now whether or not that came from a depressive state, I mean the guy fucking killed himself is one thing, so it may have been overly aware, but that's still, I mean, and the jury's out with Bo. I actually get worried about him because goddamn, he's got a lot of shit that's very depressing. Um, but the, my point is uh, there's a there's a joke that you can only come up with if you're self-aware enough to uh, to even recognize how to do it. And the joke uh, will be the first clip. It's about editors, right? And the whole thing it plays even better when you're watching it. Um, but the it, it's just a quick cut, and it plays it'll play just as well uh, with audio. But if you can actually look it up online just type in Bo Burnham uh, editor joke and watch it and it plays even better uh, but that's a self-awareness joke right you can only come up with making a joke about a video editor uh, if you're aware enough of how your performance is going to play while you're watching it back after it's been edited that's like six layers of awareness and like breaking not even the fourth wall almost the fucking fifth wall right uh, the next one is Revolutionary Spirit of George Carlin. And what I mean by that is kind of thumbing your nose at not only society and rules, like I said, but also thumbing your nose at the prevailing philosophies of uh, how uh, specifically uh, it's going to be about uh, art as a whole and the prevailing philosophy that you as an artist are pushing it pushing the art form forward right your ego gets in the way and you go well everybody else is shit but i'm great right george carlin was fantastic at doing that uh when he would talk about real topics i mean even if you're talking about his seven 
dirty words, right? The whole thing is him going like, this is fucking ridiculous, right? We should all be able to say this. But he kind of takes the piss out of his own thing because he talks about, uh, uh, with Carlin, he talks about uh, you should be able to say anything. And then he flips it back and says, these words are actually worse than what I think... uh, um, I think he said motherfucker. I haven't seen that joke in a long time, but he he goes back and takes a piss out of his own stuff. But the reason he does that is because he's booking the system. And even the system that they set up, both Carlin and Bo, they just wanna they just wanna change the paradigm of uh, people's minds. And I think that's a very revolutionary uh, type of idea and spirit. And then lastly, uh, the last clip that we'll listen to is, like I said, his disdain for commercialized humanity. Uh, Bo, on multiple occasions, has jokes or uh, songs of how people are kind of programmed in our uh, capitalist society to think one way. And it ta- and even in Art is Dead, it's going to play into that too. But he very much... He, he's searching for an authenticity, right? He's searching uh, philosophically, I think, in his real life for a, um, a higher truth, right? Something past nihilism. And uh, much like Bill Hicks, uh, I think Bill was doing the same thing. Of, uh, I think Bill found it through drugs, and um, I think Bo is trying to find it through his, specifically through his art and his music. Um, and this there's one song I'll play later but this one song it's about country music uh, really shows his disdain for uh, the the slaying of authenticity for the sake of monetization um, and maybe that comes from his YouTube days maybe that comes from people trying to take his popularity that he had either as a child or a young person and trying to monetize it and morph him into something they wanted and the whole time all he wanted to do was his art form. So um, listen to these three clips and uh, we'll dissect them a little bit more when we come back. I got a really good joke about video editors. Video editors are so fucking... Uh, I think we should do a poem right now if that's okay. This poem is a little bit sappy... This song isn't funny at all, but it helps me sleep at night. Art is dead. Art is dead. Art is dead. Art is dead. Entertainers like to seem complicated, but we're not complicated. I can explain it pretty easily. Have you ever been to a birthday party for children? And one of the children won't stop screaming because he's just a little attention attractor. When he grows up to be a comic or actor, he'll be rewarded for never maturing, for never understanding or learning that every day can't be a 
about him. There's other people, you selfish asshole. I must be psychotic, I must be demented to think that I'm worthy of all this attention, of all of this money you worked really hard for. I slept in late while you worked at the drugstore. My drug's attention, I am an addict, but I get paid to indulge in my habit. It's all an illusion. I'm wearing makeup, I'm wearing makeup, 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 makeup. Art is a dead, so people think you're funny. How do we get those people's money? I said, Art is a dead. We're rolling in dough while Carlin rolls in his grave. His grave, his grave. I said, The show has got a budget. The show has got a budget. And all the poor people, way more deserving of the money, won't budget. Because I wanted my name and lights. When I could have fed a family of four for 40 fucking fortnights, 40 fucking fortnights. I am an artist, please God forgive me. I am an artist, please don't revere me. I am an artist, please don't respect me. I am an artist, feel free to correct me. A self-centered artist, self-obsessed artist. I am an artist, I am an artist, but I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid, I'm just a kid, kid, and maybe I'll grow out of it. I think some of the greatest songwriters of all time are country artists. Nelson, you know? And if you're writing honestly, that is art, and I would never bash that. Um, the problem is, with a lot of modern country music, what, what is called stadium country music, the sort of Keith Urban brand of country music, is that it is not honest. It is the exact opposite of honest. Where instead of people actually telling their stories, you got a bunch of millionaire metrosexuals who've never done a hard day's work in their lives, but they figured out the words and the phrases they can use to pander to their audience, and they list the same words and phrases off sort of Mad Lib style in every song, raking in millions of dollars from actual working class people. You know the words, you know the phrases, phrases like a dirt road, a cold beer, a blue jeans, a red pickup, a rural noun, simple adjective. No shoes, no shirt, no shoes, you didn't hear that. Sort of a mental typo. I walk and talk like a field hand, but the boots I'm wearing cost three grand. I write songs about riding tractors from the comfort of a private jet. I could sing in Mandarin, you'd still know I'm pandering. Hunting deer, chasing trout, a Bud Light with the logo facing out. Hear that subtle mandolin, that's textbook pandering. I own a private branch that I rarely use. I don't like dirt. One verse, one chorus in the bag. Now it's time to talk to the ladies. I'm hoping my southern charm offsets all these rapey vibes I'm putting out. Good girl in a straw hat with her arms out in a cornfield. That is a scarecrow. Thought it was a human woman, sorry. A cold night, a cold beer, a cold jean. Strike that last one. I'm writing you, I hope you're failing me. Subtextually, we go to bed, you doze off. So I take your country girl clothes off. 
I'm putting my hands on your body. It feels like hay. It's a fucking scarecrow again. Like Mike Mandarin. Fuck your ears on Mandarin. I write songs for the people who do jobs in the towns that I've never moved to. Legalize gerrymandering. Tolerate my pandering. You got a beautiful mouth. I got a beautiful. Y'all dumb motherfuckers want a key change. Thematically meandering, emphatically pandering. I got a tight grip on my demos balls. Say the word truck, they jizz in their overalls. You don't know what land you're in. I'm in the land of pandering. And I'll be up front. I do what I do, cause I'm a total fucking country boy. Okay, that was Bo Burnham with his editor joke, his Art is Dead song, and the country song. And again, I, I, I spelled it out at the beginning, but man, I love... The, the editor joke first is one that I watched three times in a row when I was watching that special. I believe it's on what period is the, the album and the special. And when I saw it, it blew my... It's such a small joke. Comes out of nowhere. Doesn't have any other jokes like it in the whole thing. But playing with the formula of edited taped specials like that is fucking amazing. The only thing I can think of that compares to it is somebody... I think it's Todd Glass. But somebody did on their comedy album, like their CD or uh, you know, iTunes release, they did a audio commentary over their audio album, which again is playing with the, uh, with the formula of, oh, well they do this with video, why not can we do it with audio? And it, it's so fucking haphazard and slapped out. It's hilarious, but it's also like, I can't hear a goddamn thing that's going on. Um, so I love that, I love, again, that's that uh, Richard Jenny self-awareness of, like, knowing how it's going to play, and maybe in the moment of taping it, it didn't get a laugh, but he knew that it's not for the audience in front of him, it's for the audience in, was it, in perpetuity or later on? Why am I trying to use big words? It's for later on, right, when you're sitting there watching it, for people like me, then you watch it back three times and go, God, that's a fucking genius goddamn joke to know to know to perform that for a future audience. Uh, that, that's a level of awareness that, uh, again, I inspire and strive for. Um, again, such a quick, quick little nothing joke. Uh, here's the thing. And he cuts it off. He also cuts off at the, I don't know if this is his, I'm assuming it's his editing job, and it's such a little minute detail, but cutting off at the curse word of fucking somehow makes it even funnier, because he's just like, yeah, I'll tell you about, here's the thing about uh, video edits, they're so f and then it cuts off, so you, you know he was going to go into an angry rant, so you get that, but you don't know where it's going from there. And just getting that little insight that he's just going to go into a fuck these fucking guys is hilarious. Plus, it also keeps it clean somehow, even though the rest of the special is not clean by any stretch of the imagination. You can show that to anybody, and it's still a clean joke. 
It's very, very funny. I, I, I quite enjoy that. Um, Art is Dead was the, uh, the thing that made me feel like he's closely related to, uh, uh, not related, but uh, soulmates with George Carlin in that revolutionary spirit of taking taking something sacred art and just completely destroying it. George Carlin did that. I mean, one of my favorite specials is one of his last ones. He took something sacred like death and for, I think it was for a fucking hour, he just destroyed people's popular perception of death, right? That was George Carlin's whole special. I wish I could remember what it is. I'll talk about it probably on a later episode of the DTF podcast. But uh, again, he's taking something that people have quite a bit of reverence for, which is art, a fucking thing that he's doing, and he's demolishing it and showing basically the man behind the curtain, which is something George Carlin did on a, a fucking weekly basis, it seems like. How many goddamn comedy specials does that man have? But that was his whole thing. And not only that, uh, the self-awareness of Jenning comes up in that. Uh, one of my favorite fucking lines... Uh, that just on a personal note hits me as he says uh, drug is an addiction and I am an addict Uh, what's the last line drug is addiction I am an addict I can't remember it but that uh, or sorry sorry (laughs) drug (laughs) drug is an addiction Uh, I'm I'm a fucking idiot I meant to say my drug is attention and I am an addict uh, and then it, I think it goes into, and you guys pay me to continue my habit, I believe is the line. But when I heard that, I was like, God damn, that's uh, like in the context of the, the whole song, that's uh, a funny buildup to where he's going of like, uh, here are my real problems. He creates the tension. And then at the end of it, he goes like, uh, but I'm just a kid. Maybe I'll grow out of it. So he completely takes the piss out of his own argument. But that I love, I love the awareness of that. And holy shit, when I first heard that, you know, you, you think you get in uh, just personally as another comic. Again, he inspires other comics, uh, mainly me. But uh, I did not have the awareness enough to know it was an addiction until I watched that uh watched him perform that and i swear to god ever since then anytime someone asks me about comedy or uh you know hey i want to get into comedy what's it like um and some of you listeners may have been one of those fans that have asked me or one of those comics that are like oh you know what's comedy like Bren Bren it i don't know why you all sound like george lucas oh uh, you know what's our uh, what's jar jar Binks like but my, ever since I heard Bill, or Bill, <laughs> ever since I heard Bo do that song, uh, I compare comedy as a lifestyle as basically being a heroin addict, right? You, you're just addicted to the crowds. Um, and, I get, and I have to give him full credit. I got that sense of awareness of myself from listening to him do that my my drug is attention and i am an addict you all pay me to continue my habit 100 percent feel the same way of like yeah this is uh this is not a this is not a selfish choice i fucking hate those comedians 
that do that uh that horseshit of like oh i'm a healer right laughter is the best medicine so i'm like a fucking doctor it's like no you selfish prick you're just trying to justify your your habit you know what i mean it's the same thing as like oh i only drink because i need to have confidence enough to do my job it's like well you're drinking at 2 a.m all right you you have to wake up at 6 a.m i don't think this is you doing it for confidence i think you're just a fucking drunk it's the same thing with comedy most comedians i mean maybe maybe right i'll give a i'll give a huge fucking maybe caveat to maybe there are some that do it for the love of the game you know do a lot of charity work go to fucking old folks homes but it's like if you're performing for a bunch of drunks in a fucking comedy club on a saturday while you're away from your family or maybe you never even developed a family right and then you get done with your shows maybe you have two shows right and then afterwards people are like oh come to the bar and you're still maybe not doing your act but you're being the life of the party you're not a fucking healer you're a goddamn junkie okay and i know because i am one so i just love the awareness to call yourself a fucking uh an addict a junkie a fucking attention whore um which is what i think most of us are right and again not to pat myself on the back because i got a huge fucking ego but i i i I think i nailed it that the biggest compliment you can give another comedian is saying that you inspired me because that means you gave them your full attention if you've ever hung out with comics before uh it's really fun especially if you're just like an audience hanging out you'll laugh your fucking ass off right and even if you're a comic you laugh quite a bit but you're never fully engrossed in the conversation right you're in and out because you're trying to one-up each other there was a oh i wish i knew who said it but someone said that hanging out with comedians once you know the formula is fucking exhausting because you just watch the gears turn constantly in everybody's head and nobody's really having a conversation with each other right if you say something i'll laugh right and i'll be in the conversation but the whole time in the back of my head i'm trying to think of another punchline to one up yours right and that's what most comics do and so to give another comic your full attention and then give them your reference on top of that of like holy shit that was amazing i think that's the biggest compliment any comedian can ever give each other right the worst one is hey you were funny or good set actually good set is is pretty bad (coughs) oh no what i'm what am i talking about the worst compliment you can ever give a comedian is he's a nice guy that's the worst one right it's a joke i have uh with other comics of like yeah if i if i ever start getting that from other comics i'm gonna not only quit but i'm gonna put a shotgun in my mouth like oh how's sam's comedy oh he's a very nice guy like oh i should quit and kill myself because i have no reason to live <laughs> um anyways that's a sidetrack uh and then the last one that country song i've listened to it so fucking much i recently discovered that country song song uh in his disdain for uh capitalism commercialization whatever Uh, on the on the level of bill hicks i mean bill hicks had that famous joke where he's like if uh if you're in marketing or uh uh communication fucking kill yourself and like that's his own joke but he he builds it up like he's gonna go into a joke about it and then he just says fucking kill yourself um bill hicks hated uh the the lack of humanity in a um i wanted to say in a in a capitalist society but it was more than that it was a 
seeking approval society and it manifested in the 80s at least when bill hicks was going on as commercials pepsi commercial uh teen bop uh music there was there was no uh balls which is what he would say there was there was no soul right uh and with Bo with uh, country music he had that same feeling right uh with country music it's you know the he, he respects people like willie nelson and dolly parton who you can feel their their authentic either life or struggle or experience coming through their music but someone like keith urban is just like oh you you fucking figured out the the formula and you're just robbing people of a true experience and i think that him deconstructing that form of uh, music and entertainment also gives you a insight to him defining his own authentic artistic experience right he I, I guarantee he's like, yeah, I could have gone down this road. I, and like every comic, fuck, I, I just admitted that, you know, I, I've learned the little tick, the tricks and illusions that you can do that are basically the mad libs to words, right? Uh, so I've gone down it. I've, I've sold out a little bit. And I don't want to. But Bo uh, saw himself being able to go down that path and I think was able to express his disdain for his own ability to do that by shitting on uh, you know another art form country music that he likes and respects and uh completely deconstructing it and um to me these three although they're a small sample of his uh work and art they really are the three jokes that when i think of Bo uh and and talk about in conversation i'll uh i'll bring up and say this is uh you know th- these are these are prime examples of who i think he is as a a real like a real artist with integrity being able to stay funny first and foremost being able to stay funny throughout it all but then deliver a message and more deeply even a philosophy to uh to follow and not a preachy philosophy like too many fucking comedians are doing nowadays and i feel like i'm getting fucking like rolled into that and i want to i gotta stay i gotta have that richard jenny awareness and stay away from that bullshit i fucking hate preachy bullshit comics like oh you vapid bastards like we get it you're preaching to converted get your fucking claps and fucking piss off Oh, I might do a, I might do an episode about that. I know I try to stay positive on this thing, but th- there are too many fucking clapter comedians. <sighs> but anyways, I, Bo kind of takes the piss out of uh, that type of commercialization. In my the the last thing I want to talk about uh, is a clip I haven't played yet, but um, you really don't get the full sense of it unless you see the stage show. So I'm gonna play this clip. While, while we go out on it but I implore you um, to l- look it up and watch it for yourself only because uh, there's a little bit more to Bo than meets uh, meets the ear and it needs you need to see it 
uh, more than uh, listen to it. Uh, he has an amazing stage show, uh, especially recently. Uh, his Netflix special, Make Happy, is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, production value is wonderful. And if you guys have listened to, I think, the first episode I ever did uh, of this podcast, it was talking about uh, Eddie Izzard. And the, I, I think there's something to be said of creating an experience with your comedy. Now, do I love the just bare bones kind of uh, like Jerry Seinfeld stand up there in a fucking suit and just do your goddamn act? Yeah, I respect that a fuckload. But I think there's more that can be done, and I think Bo uh, really uh, epitomizes it, uh, especially in this last joke. It's a song that uh, he wrote and ends uh, Make Happy with called Can't Handle This. Um, we're going to listen to it, but before we do, I want to say, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you, if you've liked or have been inspired to listen to Bo from anything I've been saying, please look it up. Uh, he has, uh, a great, uh, uh, specials that are up on, uh, Netflix and YouTube. You can find them anywhere. Just find Bo and I recommend any of them. Uh, this make happy one probably my top tier one but even words 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 is one uh, I don't know there's there's a few more but uh, look up make happy start with the newest one and you can work your way backwards if you like them a lot uh, but also continue maybe I'm full of shit you know if you don't like them go out and find your own funny and then talk to me about it send me a message on uh, Instagram or Facebook or uh, Twitter it's all at uh, the letter I, Sam Comedy, uh, and that's also my website. Just anything, get at me. We can uh, talk comedy and uh, really, uh, really dive into shit. And uh, again, I want to thank you guys for supporting the podcast, and thank you to my editor Ryan Walker, uh, a good friend of mine, been around, and uh, I think Ryan uh, and I discovered Bo together. I remember living in the basement in Chicago and watching uh, some Bo Burnham shit together. Uh, and Ryan does a lot of music. He actually did the theme song for the uh, Just a Tad episodes. Uh, so that, that theme song for the Just a Tad, that's that's my buddy Ryan. Very very musically inclined. And uh, him and a guy named Chris Condren in Chicago uh, also had their own Bo Burnham moment. They were wonderful uh, comedic music- musicians. Uh, so... I'd look at uh, look at their shit online too, uh, but you guys are wonderful. Keep uh, finding your own comedy and uh, enjoy us going out with a bang with uh, Bo Burnham's "Can't Handle This." I love you all. Bye. Can I say my shit, New York? Can I say my shit? I got lots of shit to say. I got lots of shit to say. I can't fit my hand inside a Pringle can. I have a huge amount of trouble fitting my hand inside of a Pringle can. I can get my hand like four inches into the can, but then I have to tilt the can into my mouth. 
but by that point, a bunch of crumbs have accumulated at the bottom of the can, so they all go spill it on my face. What I'm trying to say is the diameter of Pringle cans is way too small. I'll say it again, the diameter of Pringle cans is way too small. Two radiuses of a Pringle can is way too small. If you feel me, put your hands up. Come on. If you feel me, put your hands up. Look at all these hands that are way too big to fit inside a Pringle can. Your hands are too big to fit inside a Pringle can. Your hands are too big to fit inside a Pringle can. You think you can, I know you can. You think you can. Pringles, listen to the people. I am sure 90% of the complaint letters you get are about the width of your cans. Just make them wider. I've overdone the Pringles thing. Sorry. I wanna have a daughter. Wanna have a daughter. So I can finally have someone around the house who can fit their hands in a Pringle can. Yes, I'm still on the Pringle cans thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll move on, all right? But that is priority numero uno. I don't go to the gym, because I'm self-conscious about my body. But I'm self-conscious about my body, because I don't go to the gym. Irony can be so painful. That's a catch-22. Let's do this. I went to Chipotle, went to Chipotle, got myself a chicken burrito. I went down the line, I got like all these ingredients, and then at the end of the line, the guy tried to wrap the burrito, but half of the shit inside the burrito spilled out, he still wrapped it. I was like, dude, you should have warned me. You're a burrito expert, you should have told me halfway through, hey man, you might be reaching maximum burrito capacity here. Do you think I want a messy burrito? No one wants a messy burrito. The whole appeal of a burrito is that all of the ingredients are contained within the confines of the tortilla. I wouldn't have gotten half this shit if I knew it was gonna fit in the burrito. All right, look. I wouldn't have got the lettuce if I knew it wouldn't fit. Wouldn't have got the cheese if I knew it wouldn't fit. Wouldn't have got the peppers if I knew they wouldn't fit. I wouldn't have got, 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 got half of it like I'm okay with small mistakes. If you got no more chicken, I'll take pork. But I'll blow my dad before I eat a burrito with a fork. Wouldn't have got the lettuce if I knew it wouldn't fit. Would they get the cheese if I knew it wouldn't? Would they get the peppers if I knew they wouldn't? Man, I wouldn't have got half a bit like, half a bit like, half a bit like, half a bit like, half a bit right now. I think it's time, I think it's time that we break it down. <laughs> Sit here and pretend like my biggest problems are Pringle cans and burritos. The truth is my biggest problem's you. I want to please you, but I want to stay true to myself. I want to give you the night out that you deserve, but I want to say what I think and not care what you think about it. A part of me loves you. Part of me hates you. Part of me needs you. 
part of me fears you and I don't think that I can handle this right now handle this right now I don't think that I can handle this right now I don't think that I can handle this right now I don't think that I can handle this right I don't think that I can handle this right now. I look at them, they're just staring at me like, come and watch the skinny kid with a steadily declining mental health. And laugh as he attempts to give you what he cannot give himself. I don't think that I can handle this right I don't think that I can handle this right But they don't even know the herb of this right But they don't even know the herb of it. I'm a pussy, I put on a silly show I should probably just shut up and do my job So here I go Wouldn't have got the letters if I knew it wouldn't fit Wouldn't have got the cheese if I knew it wouldn't Wouldn't have got the peppers if I knew they wouldn't Wouldn't have got half You can tell them anything if you just make it funny, make it rhyme if they still don't understand you, then you will run it one more time. They got on your head all this right. Good night. I hope you're happy.